1: So, Guy, Nick Mason, sourceful of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK.
2: We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Control Store. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I mm-hmm. think I'm
1: looking at him, right? But then you I might. did come up with uh, Nick Mason's All Sort of Secrets. You
2: did, and in fact that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's U-boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So, join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon,
1: and me as we celebrate the early years with you know that incredible—it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd, it goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. Goes up to 1972,
2: with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff—stuff stuff you've never mm. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard. Frankly, obviously. Echoes is the big sort of—you uh, know—what uh, is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah,
1: I never met Magnum. <laughs> was he, was he, was he, um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk.
2: And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Uh, hello. So uh, this is exciting today. Uh, Misha, absolute powerhouse. You've played with her, haven't you? I play, I've written songs with her. I've played at the Albert Hall with her. Um, oh, what did you do at the Albert Hall? Uh, she, she, she got up and sang with David Gilmore. Uh, she did Great Gig in the Sky. Oh, amazing. When was that? That was, when was it? 2015, I think. That's why we used to with, do gigs. You played with everybody, haven't you? The great and the near great, I've known them all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but listen, Misha's wonderful. I mean, not only did she, she, you know, really brought gospel to the fore, and she, I mean,
2: she did this fantastic documentary recently for BBC Four on the history of gospel um but, but just an incredible cast list of people that she's you know i mean it's she's, she's had one of those kind of oh my god pinch myself careers hasn't she yeah well tapton uh, and rather
1: michael warden prince, prince. Oh, prince. Yeah. i really want to get those stories out of her. should we do
2: that let's do that welcome to the rock on Tours. okay guys I'm ready. This was great guys. I, I it's so great to talk to two guys that have done this. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course I had gone and
3: found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called
1: Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. T- t- get t- get t- good thing, at yeah. something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours.
2: The Rock Hunters Podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt.
3: Hi, darling. I'm not technical. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> hey! Sorry, I, I look like shit. OK, I love you. Oh. You look amazing! Oh. <laughs> Hello, I Bless you. I basically went and walked the dog. I thought it was just audio. So I thought I'll be all right. <laughs> thought- but that's a Did fantastic look. That's a fantastic look. Nice <laughs> to see you. Mad, but yeah, it's all good. I'm here. <laughs> I
2: mean, miss it. Little, yeah. y- guy, me and Guy don't look great. So we never- <laughs> Bless you. Bless you. How are you babes? We're good. I'm good. It's a few years since I saw you, since you were down no, here it's in been, Brighton. It's, it's been a really, really long time. And
3: can you see me? There you go. Yeah. Mm. Um, Brighton, what's that? Four, five.
2: Four years ago, something, yeah.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah, and, that was oh fun. God,
2: it was great that was, fun. That
3: babe, listen, that was so good. I get so
1: bored with these podcasts because, especially, everyone comes on guides played with or has had someone, you know, something well, to do a big base on. What did he do with you, Misha?
3: He's very good. My God, he's a very talented man. Um, we were working with the Freemasons from memory.
2: Yeah, it was the idea, it was a disco project, and the idea That's was right. it was meant to be like this sort of a box of lost tapes found That's from the right. power station in <laughs> 1979. It was a great yeah. lost Bernard and Nile project. Um, yeah, That's we right. About three or four songs, which were great, but then...
3: The songs were really good, actually, and, and it's just a shame we haven't done anything with them because no, they exactly. were really, really good, but they were brilliant, but... You know how these things
1: are. I like the artistic concept. You're trying to do uh, songs that sound like lost tapes and they actually do get
2: lost. Yes. <laughs> yeah. well, we're, we're method. We're absolutely method. We don't mess about. Yeah, yeah. and we, we yeah. lost them. And how, how, is, how has all your
1: year been? You had an album out, I know, and, and, a, and a documentary out. But what's the reality of it? Because a lot of that must have been recorded before, I'm sure.
3: No, it wasn't, actually. i tell you what happened. It, literally, I made that album in in um, three weeks. Literally, I made the album in three weeks. And it was when the first lockdown stopped. We had that window, if you remember, in September. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I literally got everybody in and Brian Rawlings produced it. And, you know... Um, I just went back to the old days, you know, how church was for me when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have this kind of new sound in gospel music that you get now, this contemporary sound. It was proper old school, you know, and um, I remember that and I prefer that gospel. So I went with that approach with the album instead of going for the new sort of sound. You need to explain that
1: a bit more, I think, because I'm not sure the, the difference between the old school and the new school.
3: Ah, okay. Well, the new school is what you would probably say is like Kirk Franklin. You know, Kirk Franklin? Kirk Franklin. Um, I okay, just say, like yes. Mary Mary.
1: Yeah. Okay.
3: Mary Mary Shackles. You remember yeah. that song? Yeah. The contemporary gospel sounds like any sort of R&B record yeah. is the way to yeah, put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I know what you whereas,
3: mean. Whereas my old school gospel lineage sort of comes from the real like, oh, happy day. That was a hit mm-hmm. in the seventies. And that's the kind of gospel I come from, the old school.
2: <laughs> and so, what this was a church it was in Lewisham, right? Wasn't it that where you started singing? Yeah, I grew up, well, basically, I was born in Islington. That's why I'm still a gooner. But, um, we were. Come, moved on, come here. on, come on,
1: come on, come well, on. you can't just say that. I'm an Islingtonian, you know. Hey. That, that, that's my roots. What road, what street did you live on?
3: <laughs> Tollingdon.
1: Is that oh, I don't know that, but I know the name now. Where is that going? Yeah. Down?
3: Gary, Gary, come where
1: on. Is it, <laughs> is it is it going towards Dalston, Newington Green? What area is that?
3: No, it's going more towards, um, Dawson, I think I'm not oh, very. You know, I'm really bad, honey. I was like five. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, cannot, oh, I do- know the road though because I've seen it a few times when I've been on my travels. But yeah, it's definitely there. It's been there. It was there before me, Gary. Honestly, I remember. I
2: know Tolleston Road. Look, <laughs> no, she, she did a song called "South of the River," not "North of the River." You know. Yes, no, I
3: know. Mean? <laughs> oh, well, you know what happened, right? You know what happens, right? Basically, the, My grandparents, who brought me up with uh, my sister and stuff, they basically moved from Islington to. Uh, broccoli, which is in South London, Lewisham, right? Uh, because you could get more for your money there. And so they went and got this massive house down in, in, in broccoli. And then
1: I was well, it's, it's
2: leafy, isn't it? It's really leafy. Yeah, it's I mean, real- I'm a South Londoner really myself. So
1: yeah. You're a transpontidian, isn't it? That- I heard that. <laughs> 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 I think George Melly said that. I'm sure I've got the word right. <laughs>
3: well, I'm glad you know it because I'm not going to away and say it.
1: <laughs> well, we'll talk about your gospel album in a bit. I think we need to get yeah. your gospel roots first because that's yeah. your, that's your real background. So you you're going to church uh, on a regular basis. I take
3: it. Listen, yeah. baby, we went to church seven days a week. No. Okay. What? Yeah. Listen, let me tell you how it works. With us, it was it was it was basically it was choir practice, prayer meetings, it was a Bible study, and then we'd have prayer meetings in the house. And, and, and there was just every day there was an event um, that you, you didn't have a moment to get bored, put it that way. <laughs> You couldn't get wow. bored in my house.
1: Or to feel that someone wasn't watching you. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> kind of what you're being told, right? you. what
2: bit of the church what which arm of the church is is was your family?
3: My my family's New Testament. So New no, Testament no,
2: that, Church of God. Oh, so that's a that's a church. Okay.
3: Yeah, New Testament is a body, right? You have right. you got some people that are Baptist. you've got some people yeah, mine exactly. is uh, a New Testament Church of God. Very big actually. They're all over the UK, they're everywhere, Scotland, <laughs> everywhere. And they have also these big sort of conventions, they call them every year, where everyone sort of packs into like places like Leicester, De Montford Hall, places like Wembley, and they have big conventions, like all the bodies come together and have these I mean it's a big organization. Wow, just like massive.
2: Ali Pali all day is. that's a- yeah, it's
3: that kind of <laughs> <laughs> but with Jesus as the you know.
2: And then they had
3: like these kind of ex um like 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 uh X-Factor style events, too, at those conventions. So I was, you know, my, my first sort of big gig was in Wembley. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was 11 years old, and I wow. went for the competition, and I won, and um, I was 11. And, you know, what was quite interesting about that was a lot of the contestants, they weren't even my age. They were all different ages, so it was one of the things where it wasn't like everyone was young like me. There were some people who were, like, 25 oh and... And um, But anyway, so I won it, my grandparents were ecstatic, and then I won the award for for best singer that year Uh, at 11. And that's kind of like where it all started. My grandmother was like my um, agent, my grandparents. They would just take me to every New Testament church around the UK. And I was known as this
2: little girl with the big voice. You're saying it started when you were 11 at Wembley, for us, yeah. it ended at Wembley. That was it. That was where. Yeah. <laughs> once you'd done that, that was it. No, you never
3: say it's over to the fat lady 6. I, uh,
1: I, I took my eleven-year-old uh, boy to see Santana, but this is years ago oh. at Wembley, and we're in Wembley oh. Arena, and I'm yeah. saying look around you, son, you know, I've played here 14 times, you know, yeah. could you imagine yeah, yeah. being on that stage playing in front of all these people? Yeah. And Santana has this thing where he gets all the kids to get up on stage at one point and oh, Mike wow. is suddenly on stage playing a tambourine. and he he comes off, like, like, he just literally gets handed up into the, onto the stage, he comes oh, off. very lucky. That wasn't too bad, Dad. You know,
3: like, <laughs> he,
1: he, he, <laughs> you know. Oh, but, wow. Listen, your grandparents must have thought you were you're, you're, uh, you're a Secret weapon to get them onto the the top table in the Church of God. I mean, they m- well, that's
3: really what it was. Yeah, it was that. You got it. And I mean, I didn't know that at the time. I was just like, I was the busiest little girl you'd ever known about. You know, I was literally I was at school in the daytime, and then I, um, afterwards, I was running off with my grandparents in the car, driving all around the UK. And um, you know, and and in between that, I was Oliver in school every year. I was always Oliver. <laughs> it was just. <laughs> I just knew that I spent, like, when I was eight years old, my, my auntie, because remember, my grandparents had their children at home still at that point. And my auntie used to import all these gospel records from the States. And I used to, you know, if you've ever been into a Jamaican house, you will know that the front room is like a shrine. Like, mm-hmm. literally, it, you know, the, the seats are covered with plastic things on the sofa so that, you know, there's no dirt on them.
2: I mean, it's proper.
3: Like, what, no, you know,
2: no one's allowed in there in case the mayor comes round.
3: Babe, you know, it's actually waiting for the mayor the whole time. Yeah. Do you know? It's that. <laughs> and it's totally ready. You know, it's on point. There's yeah. nothing that needs to be done. So I had to sort of tiptoe in there and, you know, pretend that, you know, I'd have to watch that no one was around. And I'd put on that um, my aunt's records without anybody knowing. I was eight, you know, but I was obsessed with the sound of the Hawkins family, who were the ones who later on had a hit with Our Happy Day. They had some amazing records. And I used to listen to the record and I used to ad-lib, ad-lib. I used to practice the ad-libbing of the singers on that record at eight. By the time I got to nine and a half, ten, I could do a riff like Aretha, everybody, you name it, I was on it.
1: I've always bore people the same stories, but I, I had a wonderful experience when I was doing The Bodyguard. We went to Houston and I used to sit in the makeup trailer at 6am <laughs> and she used to sing gospel while she was yeah. having her makeup done. I mean, that was yeah. her warming up. You yeah. know? I, I, to be honest, I never found the right harmony to join in. What a lovely woman. Yeah. My goodness. When I knew she, she, I mean, before she became troubled, I, oh. I, I knew the best of Whitney in a way. You know, I, I saw Did you work with her?
3: No, you know what? I worked with Bobby, you know. Um, but basically, before she met with Bobby, Bobby and I had done a track together that didn't come out as well. But anyway, ah. but before that, she um, invited me. I did a show with her. You know, back in the day, you used to do this top of the pop show in Germany. Don't ask me the name of it, but it was their sort of pop.
1: Show. I do I know, remember that.
2: that, that top- well, there were all those weird German shows. They were Tommy's- all weird. <laughs> Tommy's. <pop
3: show. laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, you went oh, over yes. there. You went over there for the night. And you stayed there and did the show, and then you flew out the next day or the day after, whatever. Mm-hmm. And she and I were on the same show. And this is when I literally just released my one temptation, Lit- just got it out. And we were—I remember being in the green room, you know, as you do. You wait, you're waiting. And when I had my one little record company guy from Island Records, you know, because Island Records then was tiny. I mean, yeah. they were the—they were really small.
1: That was super and, cool with Chris Blackwell running it. Oh no, I mean, sick.
3: Baby, don't get me started on that. That was weird. That's where it was at. But, yeah. you know, it was, very, it was very daunting when you saw other acts with big labels come in with the equipment and think, wow, I could deal with that. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so I was sat there in the green room and then all of a sudden this massive limo comes by and I look out and I'm like, wow, that's a big car. Who's that? And I'm just, remember, I'm 18 and I'm literally just getting in the oh, game. God. And um, she, she, there was all these bodyguards that walked out But there was Whitney and they came into the room. And I never forget the first moment I saw her, I was like, this woman is better looking in real life than any picture that I'd seen of her. She's absolutely beautiful. Just gorgeous. Gobsmacking gorgeous. You know, that way where you're like, my gosh, I'm not, you know, I'm not even gay. And I'm looking at her like, (laughs) you know, she's like hot. And then she was so sweet. She was, um, she was giving me vibes and I didn't know. <laughs> oh my God, your whole life journey. Why didn't you just give into it? <laughs> I didn't know. Babe, trust me. You know, when you just come out of church, remember, I just came out of church, you know, yeah. so you know how they are with that. You know, the, the yeah. churches back then, <laughs> trust me, no, this is wrong. That is against it. You know, it was like that. So I'm in there and I'm not seeing it, not seeing that she's into me like that at all. It wasn't until she was just so sweet and lovely. And then we, they invited us for dinner, and it was when we went for dinner after the taping, she started playing footsie under the table.
1: <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <And> I... <laughs> Hang on, Mo. Was Robin not with her? Robin was her girlfriend. Robin
3: that. was there. <laughs> Robin <laughs> was... Robin was... Um, listen, Robin was... Oh, my God. I even ended up going to Robin's, you know, a couple of years later in New Jersey. She's got a beautiful place there. She's such a nice person. Yeah, And, um, you know, my belief is, is if, if she was allowed to stay with... Whitney, Whitney would still be here today. That's my
1: yeah, view. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I, I really got on. Robin was her manager and lover, oh, and she's uh, a, really, a powerful woman and so so impressive. But still, yeah. probably you know allowed Whitney to play footsie under the table with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah well, exactly. you
3: see, by that point, they had they didn't really have a relationship by then. I think it, it, it had been over by then. By then, it was business and friendship sort of thing. It, They'd already done that, you know, it was already that was
2: gone. The interesting point you raised just then, Misha. When you said I'd just yeah. come out of the church, and, and like because I'm because so many great soul singers came from gospel and then had this yeah. terrible moment where they switch over to secular and they get <laughs> untold grief, and uh, you know. Oh, an- gosh. I'm going to burn in hell for, did that, did you have to go through that? Of
3: Oh God, yeah, I went through hell. I was going through hell in the church before I even left. I mean, the, in the church, remember, I was becoming this really big star in the church and and they were questioning the style of music I was singing. I mean, I thought the, Haw- I mean, the Hawkins family music then was seen as racy. Like I'm telling you about right, the contemporary right. sound of gospel now, right? Because yeah. they were like... This stuff sounded like earth, wind and fire, but gospel. It was killing, you know? And I was just like, oh, yeah, I love that. That's great. I love that. And I was singing it in church, and they were like, mm, we don't know about that kind of music, you know? Wow. <laughs> you don't sound godly, yeah. you know? So I was getting heat from them. And then I thought, you know what? i have been up, you know, I'm 15, 16 now, and I'm getting like, you know what? I'm, my dad's coming at the weekend, picking us up at weekends and playing Marvin Gaye. He's playing the Isley Brothers. He's wow. playing Gil Scott Heron. Oh. And I'm sat there in the car and I'm going, no, 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 you know what? The gospel thing's cool right? it's cute, but I need to go here.
1: <laughs> can, can Let me just ask you about that. So you weren't living with your dad. Um, did that make that music even more attractive that your your dad lived this mysterious life outside of you?
3: Yeah, it was. It'd be, yeah, because my dad would come at weekends and and you know and I'd see my parents at the weekends and stuff. But when my dad would come, it wasn't just that. It was it was an education. My dad is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get everything from him in terms. I'm not even as bright as him. My dad is so. My dad's written like three books. He's a singer, he plays the flute, the trumpet. He's a painter. You know, he's one of those people that you're annoyed about because he's good at everything. (laughs) And, um, but he's a, he's a real educational type of dude. Yeah, so he's the guy, he will sit down and say, you know, when Gil Scott wrote this album, he give you the history, the time, the zone. It was an education in the car and he would be driving through London and he'd always take us up to the, you know, Hyde Park. And we'd always go, you know, where you row the boats and stuff like that. And you know yeah. where you got the art along the wall. That's where my dad would take us at weekends. And, and we'd go on the boats. And so it was such an amazing event every weekend with my dad, coming from that rigid sort of church thing every minute. It was like, you know, it was an amazing experience. And so when he would leave and drop us off and give us loads of money, which felt like loads of money back then, um, I would take my money and I would run to Red Records. And I remember tiptoeing up like that because it was so high up the thing. And I would say, can I get Tom Brown, please? That new one Ah! from Jamaica. uh, There you go, give him the money. And run home and hide the album under the bed. And 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 play it when no one was around. And then um, the next weekend it would have been Prince. It was like I don't know what was the first record I bought of Prince. It, could, it was the one where he's in Dirty he was Mind in
2: was the first one. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, that's it. And he had the thing on, you know, the stilettos. With oh, the the, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the Rude Boy badge, he actually had a two-tone badge. Yeah, that's that's
1: really going to be allowed in your house,
2: right?
3: (laughs) Honey, you know, I hid that one for dear life. Let me tell you, that was right at the bottom of the bed. You It
2: was a jazz mags, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
3: And so, you know, um, that was the kind of thing I had to do, but it was a real... It was a tug between staying in the church and venturing out. I had that moment where I was like I knew I had to make a decision, you
2: know. But if you were living with your grandmother and she's yeah. your sort of church agent, I mean, how is yeah. that you know, how how is that that I mean that's you'd have to be really strong to do that, wouldn't you? Well, it was tough.
3: It was tough because I, you know, basically I am trying to give you everything condensed quickly because it's such a long
2: story. <laughs> <laughs> we no, basically we No, 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 we no, we no, we want the we
3: you want no. the whole story okay fine. so basically <laughs> what happened is is that so dad would come and influence me now and i'd start hearing other types of music and being in love with it and thinking i need. it's really marvin was the big clincher for uh, me that go. was my real like i need to get out of this gospel thing now right but it was also the church and not getting annoyed at me for singing music that was a little bit racy uh, that was annoying me a bit because i was like well if it's all god's music what's the point i was that kid that was always arguing about what's wrong with gay people what's wrong with and my grandparents said, well the lord say it was that i was that kid and uh i said drive them nuts <laughs> and so anyway what happened Did they was, blame your sad. dad
1: did they blame your dad
3: no they didn't they didn't because you see he, he, he was just weekends they didn't blame him it was just they were strict it was just that kind of thing they were really strict and they didn't say anything about him or my mum or, or the fact that they were living like in sin because you know for them having a party was living in sin you know my mom and dad they love their parties at weekends let me tell you that house was transformed you know what i mean it was like <laughs> it was party so um you know they would just say just make sure you come home on time and you know that lifestyle that your parents is living you can't have that here it was that high and um, <laughs> it was you know but i i i loved my grandparents because they were fantastic but at that time I was on a rebellious chat I was just like I've got to get out of here but you know Mm -hmm. but I think there's
1: there's great value in the fact Mm -hmm. that you were brought up singing I think the reason it's so important in that religious community is when you sing you transport yourself and if you're connecting great spiritual belief with your voice then I think your voice can transcend anything that an actor could do it it, your, your belief in it and, and yeah, that it, movement, it, yeah. secular, gave you that ability to tune in. Marvin, for example, is singing yeah. a kind of powerful religious statement, if you're not religious, but a powerful statement when he's talking, singing What's Going On, you know, that whole environmental yeah, album.
3: Sure. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, the, the fundamental thing about coming from the church is that it's you're always taught from the beginning that this is not yours, your service oh, right, to humanity. Right. That's, you know, when I found out, when my grandmother discovered I could sing. I was like six, and I was singing "We Put the Bear Around the House," and she just was like freaking out and jumping up and down, telling everyone on the phone, "Michelle, about voice! Oh God, she got she's got a great voice!" we And then she was just like, "You got to tell, you know, you got to sing in church every weekend." And that's really how it all started. But she <laughs> always said to me, "God give you a gift," and my granddad would say it as well, "It's not for yourself. This is to touch and bless other people with it." And you are raised with that; it's ingrained. So it's never seen as I did this. It's always, this is a gift and I have to honor it. So when you have that sort of selfless mindset, any song that you sing, you're going to sing it different to other people. You, you just, mm-hmm. you know, cause you're not even in it. I'm, not, I'm maybe I'm there for the first two lines. First two lines of the song I'm there after that. See ya, you're
2: lift off. Channeling. Wow. Gone.
1: that's that's extraordinary we should move on to when you you know your first experiences in studios
3: when I started to sort of pull away from the church at this point I'm starting to pull away um, my sister's apartment in in Brixton is looking great to move to from Broccoli <laughs> what was going on <laughs> and my my bass player mate who I used to write with in church you know I told you this guy really, I'm obsessed with bass you know yeah, I yeah. love it I know, and me and Paul oh, Powell
2: please <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> sorry Gary and Paul, <laughs> I used to get with Paul Powell. Paul Powell was a really big bass player on oh, the scene back in the day. And um, he and I used to do demos on the side, outside of the church, knowing. And those demos was picked up by a guy who was managing my gospel group at that time called Viv. And we sent those demos off to the record company. And, um, you know, we got, I got signed at, 80, um, at 18 to Island Records, as you know. Yeah. And... They put all these, they had a meeting and they, I was in the room and there was about seven suits in there. All men, you know, suits obviously, but now suits anyone can wear them. But back then it was all blokes (laughs) and I was sat there and I was like, I remember my dad always saying to me, you know, whenever you're in a room with lots of really powerful people, always behave like you're not impressed about it. You know, my dad gave me the whole rundown about that. Just act it act like you're not intimidated and own that room. My dad was that guy, right? So I was doing everything he told me to do, even though (laughs) deep down I was terrified. And I remember the tapes they put on the table and they said, what do you like? And out of all these tapes I was listening to, there was one song, it was a demo of Breathe Life Into Me. And it was sung by this girl, and I don't know who it was, but the minute I heard that song, I said, I I want to work with these guys, who are these guys, who are these guys? (laughs) Then they got them. And it was Pete Vale and Mick Leeson who, oh, right. wrote, yeah, who yeah, to... wrote Morning Train for Sheena Easton, wrote uh, Justice for Lamar, um, Charles and Eddie, Would I Lie to You? I mean, the list goes on.
1: Tell me about those guys. Who were they? What was their... Were
3: they well, the in... big hit was Morning Train with Sheena Easton. That's oh. how Sheena Easton got her first hit. That was her first massive hit before she did For Your Eyes Only. And... Um, I just, didn't, I just fell in love with Breathe Life Into Me, but if I hadn't chosen that song and those guys, I wouldn't have got my One Temptation, which was written five All months right. later. <laughs> um, and I remember, you know, I just had my first heartbreak <laughs> with my little boyfriend who I thought was the love of my life. And um, I was telling him, oh, he's got another girlfriend, and oh, for the minute I signed the record contract, that was it, he changed. And then he said, you know, he was like my, you know, my surrogate dad. And then basically we sat there talking about this boy <laughs> and then it became My One Temptation. That's how the song came about. Oh, up. there you go. It was about him, yeah.
1: And who were the players on that? Did you stick with your bass player?
3: Yeah, Paul. Paul's, on all, Paul's all over that album, Paul Powell. And then, he, you know, he did loads of... He might have even have played for you guys at one point. Paul cool was with everyone. Deacon Blue, he was Scritti Politti. He was playing for everyone. Cross, yeah. he was with everyone. You remember right. him, innit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I
1: remember We just had some bloke called Martin Kemp playing bass for us. That was it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. he was around. He was, he was like, very
2: much around, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: Because everything had then happened pretty fast, didn't it? You were off and running.
3: Yeah, the, the, the thing about it was, it was so fast. We literally, we just made the record in a couple of months. And then... They put it out and then it went straight top 10. I mean, it was, and just before the record came out, I got invited to a Prince concert at Camden Palace. Right, And he had uh, a yeah, private, I, I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to
2: this, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, and yeah. he
3: had a private concert. <laughs> so imagine I'm getting ready to drop the first record, but I haven't released the record yet. Uh, you know, it's just coming, it's building up, you know. And um, no one knows about me. Yet. And I get the golden ticket to go to this private show. Remember, I, I'm in love with this print. Was this one of his post
1: shows? Sort of, where you, you know, he'd do a show in London and then go and do another show at Canberra. Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: yeah. And um, it was, you know, and it was a very private show. I mean, when we got, I mean, literally, it was a golden ticket. If you had a ticket for that, you were just like made. And I remember calling up my best mate and saying, you've got to come with me. You never guess what? i got a pretty ticket. Oh my gosh. And we went down there. Remember, we dressed to the nines. My shoes were killing me that day. i never forget it. It's one of those things. And we stood there. We walk in and it's packed. You've got Bono was there, Mickey Raw, Ronnie Wood. Every A-list person was in that room, let me tell you. Did I care about them? No. All I cared about was him. Didn't you, <laughs> didn't you see me as you were going in the door? I was going, Misha, Misha, get me in, get me in. Did you see <laughs> You didn't need me then, no way. He had his me. phone, were, going talk were... to my mum. <laughs> no, he was massive, he was massive. No, um, no basically, uh, we managed to get right to the front, which was really cool, and we squeezed our way in, you know? And we stood there, and he took ages to come, and then finally he came on, and we were, I was gone. The shoes stopped hurting me, everything was just, I was in heaven, I just saw the guy, you know? And then halfway through the set, he went, don't you sing? I was like, I'm like looking, but he can't be talking to me. You sing, right? Oh, my God. And then I was just like, yeah. <laughs> and then he took the like, gave it to me and started playing just my imagination. And uh, oh. it was scary, babe. Because you know what? I've always, you know that song, I know that song. We all yeah, know that yeah. song, right? Could I remember the woman? <laughs> let, let me tell you. All I could remember was at the beginning. So I held the note. So I went, it was jazz.
2: Lo- yeah, we lost that. No. You actually, you killed you, everything. Killed everything. You just broke Zoom. We like apologise to the industries around the world. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. sorry. You I'm know, so like, like a dog, Dog's howling in the street out here. It's got... <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. It was great, but your phone compressed. It couldn't handle it. Yeah, you're... <laughs> I'm it, it so so sorry. ...in the background. Uh, we well, had a glorious so a Misha word. Paris note there, and it just <laughs> and it, <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you what. Broke the internet. I tell you what they... The
1: builders drilling outside your house, Misha, have just
3: stopped. (laughs) (laughs) My dog's making a noise, though. Stop it, darling. And um, basically, I held the note. People thought she was doing a bill with us, but it wasn't. It was because I couldn't remember the words. (laughs) He went nuts. He was like, and he just went into one. And it it was one of those moments you never forget. And I was in all the newspapers the next day. And I'm pretty sure that that really helped. That single. How did he know
2: who you were? Do
3: you know, all the years, look, after that, he called up my management and um, we met in London the next time. And then uh, I met him again in LA. He would just find me. He knew where I was. Every time I was somewhere, the phone. he just knew. And in the end, um, I never asked him. This is the thing, because when you was with him, all the years we used to hang out, I did all the talking. He didn't talk much. You know what I mean? do things were yeah. complete, It was just like you know me. I can talk for Brits. So like, <laughs> and then I just remember. Anyway, so I'm in LA. It's a few weeks after, and I and I say to him, I'm, I'm at a club actually, and I'm with um everyone was there. Eddie Murphy. Everyone was hanging out there. Misha, and, did you not see me outside? I was outside
2: that club. <laughs> so like, and there's our running there. gag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: But it sounds like I'm name dropping, but this is exactly what happened. So I'm sat there in the club in LA, ask what the club it was, I can't remember what it was called. And I'm sat there and this big tall guy walks over and he says to me, Prince would like you to come and sit on this table. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm seeing him again. Wow, this is great. So I walked over, there was these two massive guys standing by a table and they literally parted like the red Sea, And there was Prince. Wow. And he was sat there with this, when I say this girl, was the most beautiful woman you'd ever seen in your life. I mean, she looked like Vanity, but she wasn't Vanity, but it looked like a Vanity type, that kind of look. Just stunning. And I was just thinking, well, I better move out of the way, because, you know what I'm saying? And he turned and he went, Misha, come and sit down. And I was like, <laughs> oh. And then he said to me, and he said, you know, I, I just love your voice, I love your voice. And by the time he said that to me, I didn't have a chance to say, how did you know who I was? Because it was just, yeah, I was yeah, in yeah. awe. And, and then he said, you know, I really, you know, you remind me of a young sharker. That was his line. And then he said, and I said, oh, thanks so much. I said, oh, you know, I just, I'm such a fan. And, and he said, you know, I'd love to work with you. And I, and I said, I'd love you to work with me. I said, that'd be great. And he said, yeah, but right now I'm doing the Batman soundtrack. And I said, oh, don't worry, I'll wait. It's all right. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, no, it's fine, it's <laughs> fine.
3: Uh, anyway, so that was that. Went to the hotel room. The next morning, got a phone call about nine in the morning and it was Prince's management on the phone saying to me, Prince would like to send you over some socks. And I thought it was a hoax. And I said, yeah, send it, great. How did he know what room I was in? I don't know, because we didn't put my name on the reception, but he knew. He's like that, he was weird like that. He knew stuff.
2: You still order breakfast while you're at it. Yeah, sure, send me the songs and I'll take some eggs, Benedict.
3: And so I went downstairs and there's the songs. It was, you know, it was cassettes back then. And I went and listened to the songs and the one that I chose was If I Love You Tonight. And then I ended up flying out to Minneapolis after that. And uh, it was a powerful experience. I mean, I, you know, I was there, he showed me the vault.
1: I've never been to Paisley Park. Just no. just give us a, yeah. an experience. Is it like Disneyland? That's how I imagine. No,
3: it
2: isn't. It's not like it's Disneyland bleak, at all. It's quite bleak, isn't it? it was actually no, it's actually some industrial very, estate. Very-
3: it's very industrial. Basically, it's in the middle of a massive field. You know, well, Minneapolis is really green anyway. And you feel like you're in the English countryside. It's just green. And then you've got this white cube kind of building in the middle of all this green. And the, the best description of it really is like Pinewood. It's that vibe. It's right. quite industrial. And, and, but when you walk in there, it's very futuristic, especially for that time. I mean, no one was really doing that futuristic thing back then, but he was. And you felt like you went into some sort of TARDIS thing. You know, it was huge inside, bigger than what it even looked like outside. And I remember he was, when I was sat waiting for him to come, he, there was these chairs. And I always tell people about these chairs because I've never seen chairs like this. You sat in the chairs and the chairs move. You bend the chairs to what you want them to be. And it was all like Mondrian, you know, the artists? Yeah. yeah. They were all like that looking and you could bend them. And t- I spent the whole day like bending and twisting these. But it was wonderful. And then he turned up with uh, cocoa and, I, I think, cream, uh, something, coffee and cream. The two girls. They were uh, his uh, bodyguards.
1: <laughs> oh, my word. What an experience. So, because yeah. I knew some,
2: I, I, I don't know, because um, years ago I worked with Candy Dalpha. And she told me that yeah. she, she got the call to go and work with Prince at Paisley Park. Yeah. She turned up there and he didn't meet her. And she was just put into a room and given a pager. And just told you just wait, and she's just sat in this room. And at three a, three AM, this pager went off, and she had to <laughs> yeah. go down to the studio. And there was bricks. really, yeah. Oh God, I must have been, <laughs> I must have been lucky then. I, you must be. I, yeah. I, I was quite lucky then.
1: You got fast track. <laughs>
0: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare, AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the Rock So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription.
1: Go to drinkag1.com slash That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. How was it for you being, you know, only 18, 19, and suddenly having this massive hit and, you know, getting, you know, in America as well? And yeah. how, how did you, this, this this kid from Brixton or Islington. Broccoli. Or Broccoli, Broccoli, wherever you are. South, South. How do you deal with that? And how did your family deal with that? Because you're such a family unit you're grown up in and and suddenly you're, you know, superstar. Yeah,
3: it was really, it was really surreal. I mean, I I know that it felt like it was a dream because I was worried. I'm going to tell you the truth that when it first kicked off, because it was quick. Yeah. One minute, my grandparents were authorizing me to sign this document because I had to have them. You know, I was 17. I was too young. So I needed them to I had to beg them to do it and promise them I'd never end up on drugs that was the life I gave them for them to sign the document so I could have this record deal right and um the thing was it, 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 I, I was I didn't expect it to go so fast I thought you're gonna make this record and then you're gonna have to make another one and build it up and build it up that's what I was thinking and if I get a little bit of attention on the first one, that's great, but it was so fast. Mm-hmm. Literally one minute, I'm begging them to sign the paperwork with me. Next minute I'm on top of the pops. And then my grandparents suddenly were like, oh, it's okay, we, 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 we believe in you now. It's good because I, you know, I left art college and all that. I was just getting ready to go to art college and all that. And I gave that all up for that. And they were really, really worried. But when they saw me on the telly, that was it. It was all good. Yeah. <laughs>
2: was like- I went back
1: on the phone telling everyone.
2: <laughs> Top of the Pops just changed everything. No one ever to- asked you, even though it's one afternoon's work. For 76 pounds, 25 pence, something I a believe is all you got. Fitness. But no one ever hassled you about getting a proper job ever again. It was like seven yeah. years of law school in a day.
3: Oh, <laughs> in a day. And, and The thing and, is, you on, can't get
2: a proper job after that, can you? If you, yeah. <laughs>
1: when, you when you ever watch replays plays of Top of the Pops, and, they, and you're, there's some band you hardly remember, and it comes on... Yeah. He is now working in, you know, a, a bank somewhere. This fella, you, everyone's in shock. Oh
3: my God. Oh, he's the top of the and so now he's working in a bank. <laughs> I know, I used, to, babe, I used to see that a lot. I used to see them working in the airports. That was where I remember seeing M2 May, like amazing, <laughs> M2 May, what, you know, um, you know, you remember M2 May, that yeah. band, great tunes. The guy was, like, giving me my ticket in Chicago, do you know what I mean, when I was on tour. He was like, whoa. I <laughs> was like, what the you, hell are you, you doing there? You moved to
1: America, didn't you? Was that, yeah. that a good thing? Was that a scary thing? New I, York, were you, were
3: you? Yeah, I lived in New York in, in 89. Is the first time I went to live there. You know, I literally was just turning 19, I think, and, and I can't even tell. I had this massive apartment overlooking the Hudson, and above my apartment building um, was uh, uh, Hemingway's daughter. That's where she died. She, I used to see her in the lift, you know, Um, and Irene Cara, yeah, Irene Cara lived down the road from me as well. I used to, I mean, it was really surreal. And, uh, but you had to live there to tour it. America is so big when you tour it, you literally have to stay there. And so I started off, you know, I did David Letterman and all of those massive shows, huge. I mean, this song really took off, you know, and then um, I was on tour at, uh, but before I did the tour, my first gig in America was at um, Radio City Music Hall with Ashford and uh, Simpson. Yes, and I opened up for Ashford and Simpson. And I have to give you a story about this because it's quite funny. I'm in rehearsal doing a sound check. Well, not rehearsal, sound check. I'm doing sound check and I'm thinking, this place is massive. My gosh, like, how am I going to, you know? Anyway, so I'm there doing rehearsals. Valerie walks past with Nick and, yes, it's lovely to meet you. Very kind of stoic, bless her. And I just thought, wow, that's Ashley Simpson, solid as a rock. I'm like freaking out, losing it. It's like, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> Suddenly, the day after that, we weren't allowed sound check again. How <laughs> was it? You're not allowed no sound check? You just, yep, that was it. Clearly wasn't a fan of my voice. Wow. wow. Tell you? You see,
2: did you see the shower room <laughs> where they cleaned the elephants? In Radio no. City. No. And this is amazing, <laughs> this is enormous shower room for, clean, for washing the elephants when they used to
3: Really? Be. Yeah, Boy, I, mean. I don't know, what, I don't remember that.
2: I just, my, my memory of that is
3: the Valerie and Nick story and, and, and how the people just went crazy when we started singing because they didn't believe I could, they couldn't believe I was British, you know? That was the thing. How can you be British and sound like that? Uh, that was the first thing. So we go, Yeah, go ahead. Every song. I'm just like, can't they stop talking while you're singing? They're literally in it. <laughs> you
2: know what I'm oh, yeah, you're that's, singing right, song, I, like, that's right. Yeah, that's right. American audiences, yeah. <laughs> and, like, go ahead, what, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what about your band? Did you take a band with you, or was this an American band?
3: I had an American band and they were so good. Oh yeah, my gosh. They, and yeah. hey, I love my English boys, don't get twisted. But honey, when you play with an American band, it's a whole nother thing. I mean, these children. They literally all have albums by themselves. They have their own careers. They <laughs> yeah. are, they're all solo acts. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. the level oh, no, I, know, I know, I I've,
2: know. I've, I mean, I've, you know, working with all, I've worked with all the top American guys and it's terrifying.
3: It's, just, no, it's brilliant. Now for yeah. me, it's amazing. It's cause there's no, they don't even need a rehearsal. Literally they've done the yeah. homework. They turn up, done, finished, boom. You have to do your own work when you go with them. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you know, they know your songs more than you know your songs.
1: <laughs> Who was out there with you? Did you not film... Feel- lonely I mean who, who... oh
3: I was so lonely I had my manager out there Bruce Garfield he was my American manager he was with me and I was spending a lot of time with him and his wife and his, his daughter they kind of held my hand through that it was really lonely in the end I was so lonely I literally had to fly my mum over a few times my sister I literally needed them there because I was in this big massive apartment by myself um and it was just it was I mean, but everyone i knew i mean you know playing radio city musical everybody sort of comes to you i mean i remember yeah. one night came off stage and i remember looking to the side there was this tall figure but i couldn't see the face at the side of the stage and when i came off the stage the, walking towards it i could see the light hit his face and it was luther and luther oh. van was literally standing watching wow. my whole set and i was dripping with sweat after the gig obviously and i just wanted to I just, I just grabbed him. I love you. <laughs> and he said, "Girl, I'm a little bit wet."
2: <laughs> yeah, mind the and jacket. Like, <laughs> you went on and you've been work. You, after that, you worked with some amazing people. I mean, Rod, yeah, come back. Cool. That, yeah, that next album, you got songs by. And were you working with? You got Narada and Rod Temperton. Right, well, oh no, you're on the third album. Now you're on the third album. Sorry, d- oh yeah, okay. yeah, The second, the second album. Are we still on the second? I'm sorry. Yeah, I know that yeah, that right. was the Prince one. I thought we'd I thought so, but all this yeah. radio said and everything, that was off the back of the second album, wasn't it? Yeah,
3: was it? and I had Nile on there. Nile Rogers was on the second oh, well, album. I, didn't I know that. I didn't know yeah, that. Niall. Yeah, Nile. Yeah, Nile's on there. And um, Lauren Hill is on that album before she was Lauren Hill, basically. Um, I went I did a bad thing, basically. Like I went and made a my second album completely different to the first one. And my <laughs> my label were really upset with me, basically. But I was on a thing where I'm an artist, you know, I'm all about evolving and growing. So I flew to New York again, went back to live there again. And my American manager held my hand through it. And we found these guys in Brooklyn. um, And I asked them to write the album with me, which was Contribution. And we we recorded it in unique studios and, you know, unique. And uh, so, you know, you'd see everyone in there. And I remember walking in there and it was a Times Square thing. There was this group of people singing outside, these young people singing. And I remember me and my producer guy, we looked at them and thought, they'd be good on the album, wouldn't they? And we went up to them and we said, do you want to come on the album? And they were like, yeah. And it was like, okay, so they came in. And who was in the choir? Lauren. Oh, wow. Lauren Hill. Wow. Lauren Hill was in the choir. This is, and I, But I didn't know who she was. She was just this little girl with all these, there's all these, there was like seven or eight of them. But I didn't know it was, so it was only fast forward later, I'm at the Brits, and she's just winning her awards and she comes up to me, she goes, you don't remember me, do you? And I was like, what? I I said I love you I said you're amazing She said girl I'm on your album I'm singing background vocals On contribution And honey lo and behold I went back home that night And there she was Her name was there I had no
2: Oh wow She didn't have an invoice Or something It wasn't something terrible Like that
3: (laughs) But you see, she wasn't known then. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, wow. And I had Rakeem on there as well, from Eric and Rakim. I had I had everyone on that record, and and it was a, it, it was it was you know back at Gary, you know how it is. It, it, you know back then you had to make every album the same. It was one of those things, and I kind of went against the grain with that. But I just thought because. I was being what, what an artist is. I was just exploring, you know? Yeah, but I get
1: that as well. And it goes back to you pushing against your grandparents and, and trying to get out and do something different. And that's your nature, isn't it? To try. I mean, you've surprised people throughout all your career, you know, suddenly being an yeah. actor, being a presenter, whatever it might be, you, you know, you're not always trying to fit into what people want and see you as.
3: No, because I don't actually care about what people think of me because if you do that you're finished you know I, for me it's all about the creativity you know I just want to inspire with whatever I do clearly you know that's the I think that's the church thing it's still that thing there it's still there where I just want people to feel inspired you've got to raise the consciousness mm-hmm. of humanity you know with what we do otherwise there's no point is there you know you can't just do it for self-gratification that's just boring isn't it Have it.
2: True enough. But so, so let's go to this third album then. So come on, Narada, Michael Walden and Rod Temperton. Yeah, we, well. I mean, Just pick up on that because Rod Temperton, who, who he is, you know, he wrote, he wrote songs, great songs for Michael Jackson. I mean, go through, what's the list guy? The, it's yeah. from Cleethorpes and he was, he joined this band Heatwave and he wrote Boogie Nights and. Um, Always um, and Forever. Always and Forever. And he, he, was, and he got spotted by Quincy Jones really early on. And, yeah. uh, and went, went and wrote loads of songs on Off the Wall. Um, I think he did he write Blame Well, on he the... wrote Thriller. And then, but then I was getting, I was getting to that. Uh, oh, sorry. And then he wrote Thriller. <laughs> yeah, well, he wrote yeah. like four songs, three or four songs on Thriller. And it was just this lovely, quiet northern bloke, wasn't he? And he, who, he, well, he was the of Invisible him. Man. Uh, don't make up don't make Rod
3: to be like this meek and meek guy. Rod was listening. The documentary li-
2: about it was literally called The Invisible Man. It's not me. No, he didn't like, he didn't, I know. He
3: didn't like to have, like, be in the public. He didn't want that. But him as a person, he was right. really, like, charismatic. You know, don't mess around with Rod. Rod was hardcore. Rod was really how did he hardcore. buy it? What was it like in a room with him? Yeah. Well, let me just tell you how it first happened. So basically, um, I flew to LA to work with him because I love Always and Forever. That's like my song. It wasn't even thriller. For me, it was Always and Forever. What a tune. And so when I turned up, it was the riots, actually. all kicked off. I didn't realise the riots were happening. I literally just (laughs) arrived. Do you see what I'm like? Everything with me is like a drama. So I turn up, um, I get into the hotel. I'm looking at the news and I'm thinking, wow, there's some real big riots in LA at the moment. People are really getting crazy. There's a couple of buildings on fire. Didn't think nothing of it. And, um, oh, knackered. I was Rodney Suddenly King. the phone rings.
2: Is it, huh? Rodney King time, is it? Yeah,
3: yeah. So I Literally, so the phone rings, I pick it up, make sure it's Rod, and he's got a really thick Northern accent, like proper Northern accent, right? Goes, you've got to come out the hotel now. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? I just got here. He goes, I've got the driver, I've sent the driver over to you now. Your building next door to you is on fire. I mean, wait a second, is that the building that's on the TV right now? Yes.
1: <laughs> did, did you not see me outside?
3: <laughs> it's terrible. So basically, I, I run down with the bags, get in the car. The the, the the car is swerving in between fires on the street. It was it was you could make it up. He's he's up in Mulholland Drive, yeah. Huh? So I get to Mulholland Drive and I turn up, I knock the door, and he goes, "Oh, thank God, you're all right." And he goes, "Now, what do you want?" That's the first thing Rod said to me. What do you want? <laughs> What said, did he mean, in terms of song or a cup of yes. tea? It wasn't like another cup of tea. Or firing. Yeah, what do you want? What do you want? Just yeah. like that. That's how it is. He was really, he was really yeah. like, you know, hardcore. It, you know, black and white, no grey. And I just went, well, I really want you to get me a song like Always and Forever. And I know that that was that really moved him because everybody was kind of asking him for Michael Jackson stuff, and here yeah. I was asking him for something that. He, be, you know, he's beginning, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I, and he, I knew, I, I got him at that point. He was, he was melting. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Bless him. And then he took, he said, okay, give me a couple of days. So I stayed with them and I stayed at their house because it was, we were overlooking. We were, you know, the Mulholland is fire. so <laughs> far <fire> up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also Mulholland is so far up. You yeah. can, you literally have a view of the whole of LA. So, you know, you could, we saw all the fires and everything, but we were up the top. And um, I stayed there and four days later, he came in with this song called, You Put A Move On My Heart. Mm. That song is unbelievable. It's such a great song. Yeah. And that's started our friendship. And we, it, Rod and I made an album two years ago, just before he died. And it hasn't come out. <laughs> oh, that's how long our friendship out? went on for. Oh. I don't know, I don't know, but I've, Rod and I, and his wife, you know, we were friends for, well, up to his death.
1: No. Well, no, I just wondered if you sat in, yeah. in the room while, while Rod was writing. Did you ever watch him write?
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. But the first, because, that, that, you know, that wasn't, he, he wrote four songs on that album, you know. We, no. we were in the studio yeah, yeah, with yeah. the other ones. Yeah, he's got a little keyboard and, you know, he... First, you know, you know how you, it's the process of talking, you know, first we talk about the stuff that's going on with me. He's very much that kind of, he's very much like Pete Bell, in the same way that they, you know, they sit down and you talk with them about what's going on with your life. Remember you're their muse. It's that kind of vibe where, you know, you you, you co-write nice. so in the way of your yeah, story. So you're singing
2: your song, which is pretty um, Yeah, exactly. And, you know, yeah, so
3: me and him are there. I'm telling him about what's going on with whatever's going on with me at the time. And this inspires him then to, you know, start the chord process and, he writes with the piano first because he's a proper keyboard man, really. Mm. And um, that's how he starts the process. And that's, that's how we started um, the first song anyway. And then after that, we were in the studio every single day and I think it was four songs. And I stayed with him for that. Um, and uh, But he doesn't have, he's not like Nada. Nada had a team of people working with him. Uh, Rod is by himself. Right. Rod is literally one man band in his room, a very big room and uh, <laughs> <laughs> massive, and um, he's by himself with his keys. Me, we, yeah. we have
1: to jump a little bit because of, Go. Uh, yeah, and, and Go. You, you take on acting as well at some point in your career, and you end up doing like you, and, well, like me, yeah. I mean, I sort of started doing that as a kid in Islington with Anna Sher, but you, 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 this would, would have been new for you, right? So, how did that Yeah. Come out? and how did it feel?
3: Well, the thing is, I, I I wasn't that new to it. It was '94 that I got my first role in a theatre production. It was Clark Peters that put me on this show oh, called Sweet on. Lorraine. But no, so he he was the one that put me uh, forward for that, and um, it, that was my first sort of venture into acting. I was terrified about it, as I still am. It's not like I'm over it. I'm still like, but as I said, the only reason why I've ended up doing loads of things is because I'm not scared to look like an idiot. Do you know? I'm, I'm not afraid to look silly, but I'll only do it once. And if I'm really rubbish at something, I'll never do it again. Um, But that was my sort of entry into it. And then I ended up doing Chicago. And then I did... Did did um, you
1: play in Chicago? Mama... Mama
3: Morton. Yeah. I played Mama Morton. And um, I did that. And then I did... uh, What else did I do? Oh, I've done so many theatre productions. Um, And then I did Fame. Sorry, I did fame. Uh, I was in fame for like two years. I've got
1: a suspicion that that it really appealed to you because in a way it's a bit like the, the, the old church group that you belong to, you know, where you, you're turning up. And what I love about theatre is the family that you end up having around you. And you're all yeah. sitting in the same space if you're doing a musical, but you're all taking great risks in front of each other. And it's all for the higher purpose, isn't it?
3: It is, it's, it's, I was really lucky with Fame because I had a really good bunch of people. They were just, I mean, was it Georgie Porter? Who's amazing. Um, she's such a fantastic girl and all the people in the cast were fantastic. It's lovely if you get a good cast, you know, it can all go the other way if they're not. It's no, the same, it's same like, as a band, it's the same as a band. Yeah, yeah, but it was great. I had a great time with them. And, and the thing was um, for me, I'm going to say really, it's about being able to sing every night. I get off on that. Mm-hmm. I need to be singing all the time. When I'm singing, as I told you, I'm literally in another place, I'm, I'm gone, I'm not there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so your so. theater thing has to involve singing, right? Doesn't it? That... Oh
3: yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not about the straight stuff. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. I've done a bit of straight stuff. I did Agatha Christie. I was like, um, I was a villain in that, um, in Agatha Christie. Um, and then I was, and in uh, EastEnders, I was a villain in that as well. Absolutely terrified, Gary. Uh, let me tell you, I was literally wearing a nappy. I was terrified. I'm like, and uh, did you, what are you doing me? What are you
1: doing? But that's exactly what I was going to ask you about. Because is there, you know, I like doing what you do. You know, I like doing jumping ship and play, and doing other things. And yeah, um, is there an element of you that thinks what I really want to be doing is making records, and maybe I shouldn't be over in this? Or is it all entertainment for you, and you're just you're enjoying? plugging into all these different things and challenging yourself?
3: I like to challenge myself because I think that the process of making records can become incredibly boring. To come back to it after I've gone off and done a Radio 2 series or a TV or uh, or a film, I come back to music and I feel like I'm new again with the music again. It feels new. It feels like I'm doing a new thing. It's fresh. I think when it becomes that kind of, you know, the process, you write the songs, you make the record, then you have a, uh, you, know, you know, then you wear a nappy because you wonder if people are going to love it. And then you've got to go all over the telly and try and promote it and try and get a telly to promote. It's, you know, our age, it's not easy. And then, you know, you, 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 then you go on tour and then you do it all again. Yeah. So, you know, for me, anything that feels monotonous, I start to die inside. For me, when I go back to music, which is every couple of years, it's always like, oh yes. Oh gosh, this is why I do what I do, <laughs> and I fall in love with it again, and it feels like I'm a virgin going into it again. And here I am, you know, thirty four years later, uh, it still feels fresh as a daisy. You know, I just literally came off of tour with the with, with came off tour with fame when I went and COVID came after that. But then I, I I came off tour with fame, went straight to Memphis, shot this documentary, the gospel Oh yeah. No, we'll talk about to Mission, this, yeah. And uh, when that came out, Warner came and asked me to sign to make a record and to make, you know, some records with them. That's how that all happened. I wasn't planning on putting
2: out a record. It all happened after the documentary. And, that, yeah, and how did that feel? Cause the, the, this is about the story of gospel, right? The documentary thing that you yeah. did. And how mm-hmm. did that feel like a real sort of coming home? I mean, did that sort of oh, tidy totally. things up for you going back to where you started?
3: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it, I felt like I had to pay homage to my grandparents. I mm-hmm. felt, they, they never, you know, they were proud of me, but they always wanted me to make a gospel record that I didn't make while they were alive. I felt like I had to. It was a thing I felt inside. I wanted to, I dedicated the whole album to them. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, and I kept my promise. I didn't end up in rehab. And it was a real coming home for me in that way. I managed to keep my promise to them. Cause I kept saying to them, I'm not, just sign the paper. I promise I'm never going to become a-. Yeah. My granddad was like, you're going to end up in the pit of hell. You're going to be a harlot. I remember having to look
2: up the words. I was like, what's a harlot? You know what I mean? <laughs> but you
3: know. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's in Essex, isn't it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I, you know, I remember like making this album thinking, wow, I kept my promise. Um, it's not easy to do that in this business.
2: But it's a big, really? powerful record as well. For It's not sort of happy, Thanks. clappy gospel, is it? There's some really weighty stuff on it. I mean, it's brilliant. But.
3: Yeah, thank Can you. And you
1: take the non-gospel you. songs and, and give yeah. them a gospel feel and change the lyrics in that sense. The lyrics now take on a slightly different meaning in a way.
3: Yeah, because to me, this was always the point I was trying to relate to, to my grandparents, was that it's all his, you know, her, whatever you want, whatever God is to you, uh, the divine spirit mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. I believe everything belongs to that power. And um, these songs like still haven't found what I'm looking for. I mean, that, if that's not an inspirational yeah, record, yeah, yeah, come yeah. on. Yeah. Do you know, and, and you know, I want to know what love is. I mean, these songs growing up, I mean, you know, we're eighties children, you know? And I've got yeah. to tell you, those songs blew me away when I heard them the first time. And I remember thinking, I'm going to make music like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying And I'm going back in the eighties now because yeah. it's inspirational. So to me, My point in this album as well, not just to give grandma and grandpa, you know, respect and thanks for giving me such good moral values growing up that kept me in this really topsy turvy industry. Trust me, it's not easy. Um, But without their, you know, structure that they gave me, I couldn't have survived that. But also to show people that you don't have to be religious. be inspired Mm -hmm. you know something moves you because a great lyric does that it gives you that same feeling like a spiritual song will give you you see what i'm saying because it's all saying pretty much the same thing so that was my reasons for choosing those songs because that's what they are to me they speak to me you know
1: yeah i think that was what i was saying earlier when i was saying did your did you know your gospel training your church training allowed you to sing secular songs plugged into your spiritual side much yeah you're right you yeah. Said we're also cynical aren't we? we're also cynical about music often yeah. i mean especially as musicians i know i am i, I yeah. judge everything technically when i listen to it I, I i rarely let things get under my skin as much as i used to as a kid yeah and i think yeah. i need to relearn how to to do that properly
3: but also the thing about it is you see this is why i used to have a lot of you know we're talking about this there's a lot of female issues going on within the music industry right now as we're presently talking there's a lot of dramas going on and i go back to the times when i was in the studio with people working with them and i wasn't valued a lot of the time because i was a female because i was basically saying that to very trained musicians who i'd be working with you know at these big studios Mm and you know barns or wherever the air studios whatever you know big studios you know i'm working with these really like these guys have been to Hall and all these, you know, Berkeley and all, all these like music stores. And here I am, you know, never can't even read music, but I write from here, you know, it's, everything is in my head. I hum the parts out to musicians. I start with the bass and then I go with the keys and I hum everything out and they copy what I do. That's how I write. And yeah. then I put the lyrics at the end. And so I would have fights with a lot of the musicians because they were like, that doesn't make sense. I said, I know it doesn't make sense, but just do it. Uh-uh. <laughs> but then they don't want me to know that it's all right because I'm a chick, you know, it was that. I used to fight yeah. with that. Uh, when, I was, when I was a younger musician, it was really tough being a woman, knowing what you wanted to write, you know, with people who were trained.
1: We we have to say congratulations to you on your MBE, which you got last. Thank you. Obviously, (laughs) more than just your contribution to music, because your contribution to charity and to to a lot of issues that young people have growing up, you know, and you've been outspoken about all of that. That must have been such an honour if your grandparents were still around.
3: Oh, you know, that's the only thing, you know. I mean, the, the, the closest thing we got to that was I remember doing a concert, a private concert for Princess Diana and Charles and um, my grandmother. I dragged her
2: with oh, me and,
0: wow. them,
3: and I never forget uh, that Princess Diana. Well, you know, when you have to stand up in a line and you have to wait for them to come over. And she came over she was so moved that my grandmother was there. She had a massive bouquet of flowers that was hers, and she gave it to my grandmother. and told oh, her, "You've done such a fabulous job." And my grandmother kept those flowers to the day she died. She literally uh, had them in her Bible, pressed. Oh, <laughs> that's wonderful. I like that's powerful. And under yeah. the lockdown, who gave you your MBE? We haven't had the ceremony yet because oh, you of lockdown. Are- I think they're looking at the summer this year. From what I was, I've been told. Like, uh, uh, Amisha, if, if after I'm outside, will you let me in? <laughs> <laughs> i love you i love you gary you're so
2: brilliant good <laughs> right. thank you so much yeah this has been brilliant no, so thank lovely you. to see you to it's see so you, good to see
3: you yeah. i mean we need to get in the studio all of us yes. right
2: yeah absolutely right? that'd be brilliant oh that was what a delight yeah that really cheered us all up didn't it it certainly did there's this beautiful
1: person she is she really is so full of enthusiasm inspiring
2: yeah, after all this time, not like us jaded, bitter old hacks. Well, it has made me want to go back and listen to you
1: too, and uh, oh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I apologise. Um, well, listen, thank you for listening, and uh, thank you for joining us on our uh, regular podcast. We are we love doing this, so keep leaving lovely reviews or whatever you leave.
2: Yes, thanks to Ben, our producer, and thanks to Misha for being amazing. And so it's a good night from me, and it's good night for all, all of them.